You're a uh, you're a you're a numbers man. You're a uh, you're a financial man. I'll give you a hundred dollar bill, crisp, ironed out, unbelievable. If you marry, if you memorize the Shema, and you recite it in front of the men, you got as long as you need. All right. Was that? Were you taking that challenge, or you just want to think about that? Oh yeah. Okay. All right. So I just landed on the ground with you. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that. I wasn't sure, and the other one I got real cheap. Yeah, had to had to try it. Out. Italian leather, by the way. Did you? Yeah. Did you want it? Yeah, I know you do. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, baby. Yeah, you. Ah, uh, yeah. This actually has screws. You know, you screw it together. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. So yeah, I'm bringing this down. I didn't yet. I'm looking for someone who owns some handgun that could use it and, I, uh, and would wear that. Well, they say this is the best way to carry a handgun because you don't have it on one hip. Because you've got magazines on the other side, it weighs it out and you are, yeah, oh yeah. So anyway, all right. God bless you men. Thank you for coming. We have a couple of numbers on, uh, I don't know, Isaac, you're in a bad way there, bud. Can you see that there? Good, all right. So i got a couple of numbers here for our Catholic friends who are listening in Canada. A. A. That was the uh, Catholics. Uh, 115 is the, 115 is the, the, Let's, let's, let me tee this up again. Yeah. So these numbers are on here for our Catholic friends. 115 is the number of cardinals in the... In the stadium. In the stadium. In the stadium. Yeah. In the Vatican. No, no. That's a whole city. In the Sistine Chapel at one point in time, no doubt. In the popery. In the conclave. Yes, 115. <laughs> I tell you, it's a tough crowd. Uh, yeah, so 115 cardinals in the conclave, and the etymology of conclave means with <laughs> with key. With key. So the the uh, this is important. You need to know this because they stole us. <clears throat> so the the conclave is designed such that the cardinals, which are the highest points in the Levitical system, um, right before the uh, Kohanged, I mean the Pope, um, these guys are actually, they go to the Sistine Chapel, right, okay, um, so they'll, they'll have Mass or their, their worship service, and uh, then they publicly, before the people, take a vow of secrecy, and they will actually vow not to speak of the voting process, 
the discussions, or anything having to do with the selection of the Pope under penalty of excommunication. And that excommunication is not just the cardinals, the 115 guys, but also the high singing voices of the young boys. Ave Maria! Yeah, those guys will also be excommunicated. Everyone who assists or serves the cardinals during this process of the conclave would be excommunicated as well if even a single cardinal speaks of the process. So they are then taking this public vow of secrecy and then they go in and are locked inside the Sistine Chapel and 115 of them cast a vote. When they cast the vote, 77? That's your, that's your winning number. That's two-thirds majority. If 77 cardinals vote for you, they just selected a new pope. Unless we have a pope who chooses, or a cardinal who chooses to say, I'm not sure if that's what the people really want. I'm not sure if that's what God really wants. Let's vote again. That happened one time. Or he says, I just don't feel fit to be Pope. I mean, the Pope Mobile is really cool, but the gas mileage is not what I'm looking for. And there it is. So, 77 popes, uh, 77 cardinals need to vote for the Pope. Now, they'll take a vote a day, normally. And when they vote, if a winner is not selected, they take all the ballots and they put them in the fireplace, and they burn them, along with a chemical that will ensure that the color is black, indicating black smoke out the chimney, they have not chosen a pope. So what you see burning is not just the chemical, but it's actually the ballots. There's no evidence of who voted for whom. Then, at the end of that day, like right now, the cardinals are actually at dinner. They're at the Vatican Hotel, they're doing, you know, the, the Vatican dance and having a great time. That's when they'll discuss and politic and start to make their political moves for who they think should win. So tomorrow, they'll come in and they'll vote. I don't know if you know it, but when they're locked in the conclave, they're not allowed to talk. It's a silent group. They're in there not talking. They pray. They vote. They go get a steak. I'd want to prolong that as long as I could. The number 10. Shortest amount of time. It's taken them to elect a new pope. Ten hours. Six. Six months, the longest. The people of Italy actually tore off the roof and put the cardinals on a bread and water diet to force them to come to a consensus. That's exactly what I'm thinking. This is a good system. Senators cannot speak. All they can do is vote. I like this. There it is. 
And now that was good. And and actually, a uh, stepping up to a constitutional right to actually do that. Uh, if you've not seen uh, Mr. Smith goes to Washington, you don't know what it is to filibuster. But I think it was a great uh, great deal there. All right. Tonight's class requires your participation. It's exactly what we're going to do. And uh, we're going to make sure uh, that you step to the plate in an understanding of the idea here. So let me tee this up by asking a couple of questions that might help you to uh, get into the same frame of mind in which I am. Um, it, is it a sin to drink? I get, a, I get a resounding no from this end of the couch. Well, I, would, I had a question for you. Okay. <laughs> is it a sin to drink alcohol? No. Okay. Um, so, I, you know, we're all on the same sheet of music. So we're not arguing that point tonight. Is it a commandment to drink alcohol? Oh, no, that's cool. What's the answer to that? Oh, that's very cool. Now, that may come into play later. Hold that thought. I like that. Yeah, we may need to add that on. Okay. So, you guys are not, are not the, the dweebs at the bottom of the class. You're training to be the top of the class. You're training to be the guys on whom God can call at any time. So, the class tonight is designed to rebut the concept that Yeshua did not drink wine, or any alcohol for that matter, but not by saying, well, this scripture shows that he must have. I don't care about that. Anybody can do that. That's second grade. What I want is the theological impact if he didn't drink wine. I'll say it again. I'm looking for the theological impact if he did not drink wine. So I'll start you off to help you out, unless you don't need any help. So here's an example. Hebrews chapter 2, if you've got your Bibles handy, the apostolic scriptures. Hebrews chapter 2, I'll need someone there. I'll also need someone in Hebrews chapter 4, and I'd like someone in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Okay? He's got 2, he's got 4. Looking for 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Do I have 11? No, I'm only kidding. Sorry, I got caught up in it. So here's my premise, that if Jesus, that is Yeshua, did not drink wine, then he is not the perfect Kohen Gadol. So do you see where I'm going now? I'm not looking for the wimpy stuff. I want theological arguments that destroy his ability to be Mashiach. I may be wrong about this. Tell me what you think. 
I didn't, I didn't give my argument yet, so let me give my argument, and then you can go ahead and re- try and rebut it. <clears throat> so who's got Hebrews chapter 2? Oh, it's you. Uh, so could you give me uh, Hebrews 2, verse 17, please? Now you want to read loud enough so that uh, this deaf man over here can hear. What's that? So the concept here is that he needed to be like his brothers in every respect. Okay. That in and of itself is, of course, insufficient, as as Peter is ready to argue. But we'll continue with our argument. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Okay, so now I've got two verses from the writer of Hebrews who makes it clear that he's like his brothers in every respect and has been, in every respect, has been tempted as we are. If we were in the same version, we'd see that consistency in the thematic metaphors that are there. And 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Yes, sir. Verse 13. will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Okay, so we have temptation that is common to man. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And Hebrews says that he was he was tempted in every way just like us. So between Paul and the writer of Hebrews, the the scriptural implication is, this is a guy just like you. He's just a regular guy. He's not God. That's not the point. He is God. But that's not the point here. He's just like you. And yet, he was obedient. Obedient, in fact, to the point of death on the cross. So, he's tempted like us. He's made like us. And in every way, there's a way of escape. So, if he never drank any alcohol, then he was never tempted to drunkenness. And therefore, these are irrelevant. These three scriptures become irrelevant. He was never tempted, like me, to drink just one more glass of wine. So that's my point. That's my example. It may not hold water with you, but that's the direction we're going in. in. In what way can we see that the scriptures just won't work? Theologically, there's a problem with his ministry or his life, if that were the case. Only from the scriptures. All right? So, have you got another one? Oh, yeah, try and rebut. Yeah, where do you go? What do you got? Give me an example. So I think the scripture must mean that he was tempted, like, categorically. What does that mean, categorically? Like on a basic level. Like, so he wasn't, uh, it, says, it says he was, in every respect, has been tempted as we are. So you're saying either that the word of God is not timeless, or that it's just a fake? I'm, I just... Well, 
broader than simply drunkenness, gluttony. They could be. But they don't need to be for my point to be valid, right? Because there was wine then and there is wine now. Right. Okay. Sure. Um, while those are valid points, they don't negate mine because those are additional things, not this one. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. He's he's obviously not experienced those, or as as he said, adultery. Okay. Because he didn't have to have had to obey family purity. Um, I would say that that's a non sequitur. You're saying what's available now wasn't available then, not therefore it doesn't have to be. Time. It, it's time. It has to do with circumstances. And it's not a non sequitur if you heard everyone else's point. Yeah. That there are other temptations right. that other men could experience. Yes. That Yeshua did not necessarily experience. And your argument but does not negate. Okay, good, good, good. I like it. Okay, so you're saying, I'm trying to um, get it down to brass tacks. There are things that I, I deal with today that he could have dealt with then, but we know there's some that I deal with today that he didn't deal with. Therefore, he didn't have to drink wine because that's another thing I deal with today that he did not have to deal with. Right? I think it's important to do the time thing. I don't think that we would say the time is irrelevant. And like that was Jonathan's point about family purity. And that if Yeshua was not tempted intrinsically mm-hmm. to violate family purity laws because he didn't have a wife right. who was in. Yes. Uh, okay. Then, in that sense, intrinsically, he was not necessarily tempted to drink wine. So, let me, so, let, me, so let me speak to that I'm real sorry. quick. So, on first. Uh, on Hebrews 4.15, um, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are must obviously be in the state in which we are. So therefore, the whole marriage thing is completely irrelevant in that point because he wasn't married. Well, in the state we are. This man is married. He has, he has temptations that are different than this man who is single. Right? Well, we're only using the marriage sample because it's the only one, it's only one of the ones that we can prove that Yeshua wasn't tempted for. Well, we're, what we're saying, though, is, and I don't know that that's actually true, but I'm, I'm going to play with it. I know he wasn't married, but the sin of adultery and the sin of fornication are virtually the same, are they not? It's simply the state of the man. Right? They're the same sin. Which is what I said originally. That it's a more basic temptation. That we're talking, that the scripture is talking about, like, he was tempted in this regard, just like we all are tempted and in that regard. So we're looking like for simply the, the all things. more of a bigger circle. Okay. And he didn't, just like he didn't necessarily was tempted specifically to sleep with his wife at a certain time. Right. But he was certainly he could have certainly been But he could have certainly been tempted to sleep with another woman who obviously wasn't his wife. Same kind of thing, right? Okay. But 
So it doesn't negate the fact that he could have, that he was tempted to overindulge. But it doesn't prove he did drink wine. Yeah, I think that's weak, though. Right. But if a teetotaler has never been tempted to drunkenness, then my point is he couldn't have been a teetotaler because then he wasn't tempted like me. He was tempted, but they weren't tempted. Saying it's because they're, he's a he's a he is a he is a type of everyone. Yes. Then, then he's a type of everyone. I see. I think that I think that tempted as we are is a much broader category than specifics. I agree, but I think with the other scriptures, you have to address the fact that he was in a culture and seemingly well, participating. Precisely. There was right. a bunch of people, but they were publicans and sinners. The average Jew didn't drink. Exactly. So we'll get there. But that's a good point. And, and I'm with, excuse me one second while I maintain my relationship with my son. Good point, son. I hate that guy. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> He's good. He's good. I love him to death. Yes, go ahead. I'm getting to the last Seder as an example. I mean, the last Seder. I've, I've got that one in a different area, but let's, let's hear about that. So, we know, if we know that they drank wine at the Seder. Is, is that universally known? Well, no, you, I can't tell you how many times I've heard the argument. No, 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 no. Oh, that's the difference. No, no. Okay. Well, no, 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 wait, wait. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's where we're going. That's the problem. Yeah. All right. No, no, no. They're not ignorant to it. They resist it. Right. So. So now wait. That's not historical fact. That's current perception for some teetotalers. I mean, you could go to Columbia, Columbia University, Columbia College of the Bible, and talk to professors, and they'll they'll show you the. Archaeological proof that there was no alcohol at a Seder. All right, so <laughs> it's amazing. I know. I, I've actually spoken to some of those people. Exactly. Unbelievable. All right, now, hang on one second. Let me prep or tee up Greg's point. Um, it must be. unwise, unhealthy, or unfit to drink wine. Evidently. Yet Yeshua and his apostles promoted the unwise and unhealthy or unfit practice to others. In John chapter 2 and verse 8, if someone will look that up please. John chapter 2 and verse 8. And Greg, if you'll look up uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 25 and 26, because that's where you were going. And then somebody else get 1 Timothy 5.23. 1 
11, 25 and 26. If you play elder in the church or deacon, depending on which one gives out the bread and the wine, you get to recite this under your breath as you're passing everything out. Sorry. John chapter 2 and verse 8, 1 Corinthians 11, 25 and 26, 1 Timothy chapter 5 and 23. I actually do that during the Seder. I walk around and, and I quote these two verses. Who's got John chapter 2 and verse 8? And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. Yeah, keep, keep going. I'm sorry. It's, right. yeah. <laughs> the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants had drawn the water and knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, but when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine comes. But you have kept this good wine until now. There you Why go. Why is that? So, you've kept the good wine till now. So, if drinking wine, which seems to be a bad thing in the eyes of those who say that Yeshua never drunk wine, if it's a bad thing, well, then we've got a problem with his ability to be the Mashiach if he's promoting a bad thing. Well, their argument is that it is grape juice. We'll get there in a second. That's a different argument. And so we've got him promoting, you've kept the good wine until now. The fact that the master of the house, this steward, is saying you've normally, I mean, the normal thing is you bring out the good stuff and then people have drunk it and the implication is it is wine and therefore their senses are dulled. It has an effect. And then you bring out the crap that, you know, the two buck chuck and yeah, nobody knows because, (laughs) hey, they've got some more wine, you know. So I think the context clearly indicates that the people, yeah, Right. The people would not know that poorer wine was presented second. So this steward, who obviously knows his wine, notices that. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 25 and 26, Paul is describing the last Seder that Greg was uh, raising. I underline two things in those two verses. Do this and drink the cup. So obviously Paul is advocating that we drink this cup that the master gave to his apostles. And of course we're still here thinking it could be grape juice. But I'll get to that in a minute. Well, I hope it's the third cup, but... No, 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 but I mean, but it's one of four or yes. something, right? Yes, So what's he talking about? Here we have a commandment, a commandment by the Master to drink something which is not ever mentioned in Scripture. Which is obviously traditionally based. That's right. It's never mentioned in Scripture, so he's telling them to follow a tradition that is not in the Torah. That's awesome. And Paul commands two different churches, commends them and commands them to keep the traditions as he presented them, as he presented them, those traditions to them. But back to that point is, if it's, if it's this cup, right? He's talking about a traditional cup, which means we know what that is. It's not, it's not five or three, it's 
for because we can we can date we can go back and we can say at least for 23 2400 years this is the way that it has been done and you could not use grape juice that's right exactly right i would also add that when yeshua took the cup whichever one of the four it was okay and he and he said I'm not going to drink. Uh, wait, 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 wait. I got that on the next one. Wait a minute. That's, where is that? I'm not going to drink of this again until, uh, you know, until, I, until, I'm, until I'm, you're with me in my, in my father's house, whatever language it was, right? Which is effectively a Nazarite vow. We can then go to the Torah where the restrictions on somebody who takes a Nazarite vow is they cannot consume anything from but specifically wine. And it was understood to be not just grape juice. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 29. There's three places that it talks about in the Gospels. And the theological implication is that the vow mentioned three times in the Gospels is nullified. It means nothing. If he didn't drink wine, his vow means nothing. That's right. Right. Because he has to be abstaining from something. From something that he has been doing or his vow is null. Right. And so, he mentions it three times, well, but it's a big But it deal. also means that when the vow is fulfilled, he has He's to drink again. Drink again he has to, to drink again. That's, That's right. right. So that means for the vow to mean something, he had to have drunk in the past. Right. And you look at, at number six, it's right. wine. It's alcohol. Right. And it also means that he has to drink in the, drink in the future or the vows nullified, and this is a big vow because this is a messianic, redemptive vow. Numbers. Go ahead. This kind of ties into really more of the priestly aspect. But yes. If we if we say that the Levitical priesthood and Levitical system is a uh, is a type of the greater priesthood and system, you know of the Perhaps Melchizedekian. Of, of, right, of that greater temple and priesthood in the sky. Right? Yes, yes. And if Yeshua is the priest in that temple, right, according to the order of Melchizedek, Melchizedek then we have in the we have throughout the Torah there are there's hundreds of verses that describe libation. Yes, right. that's exactly right. And they are always, with only one exception that I'm aware of, they are always wine. The only thing that is never, that, that is um, other than a wine libation is the water libation for Sukkot. And that's the and one that's day. Yeah. Well, it's it's actually hidden, hinted in the, in the text yeah. of the Torah. And it's, but, but, yes. Yeah. So, so the water's poured out, but it's not drunk. It's poured out on the altar. Uh, most of the time, it can be poured out, but I think if we went through all those verses, we'll, we'll do they drink some of it. So let me make let me make this particular point formal here. Um, if he did not drink wine, that wine, then his claim of future abstinence until his return was a lie and meaningless, and he is disqualified as Messiah. Matthew twenty six twenty nine. I tell you. <laughs> That's right, yeah. I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. The only problem with that is if I am a 
card carrying over the temperance movement, I will go back to the Nazarite section and point out specifically that it says he can't even eat the skin of grapes. Hence, grape juice would count as something that's he could have drunk before grape and juice. after. Yeah, right. That's right. Grape juice counts, counts yeah, for yeah, everything. Yeah, you got to go back again. Which cup is he drinking from? It's not grape juice. That's the point. He's right. not saying, don't drink some grape. I'm not going to drink any juice from grapes. He's saying it comes from course, this cup. That, what cup? somewhat irrelevant. Well, we've already established that point. He's already drinking then, in my opinion. We're really well, I think we all agree he's drinking. That's the, the problem is for those that don't agree that he's drinking. He's right. He's commanding them to keep a tradition that is not in Scripture that involves the drinking of alcohol. <laughs> Stand by. Yes, sir. I, the Nazarite vow thing, I, I get it, but it's really hard to, for people to get that because they don't associate off the bat wine. Most of the time they think of hairy people. Hairy and people. Like, so you're telling me that Yeshua hasn't had a haircut too much. He wasn't a Nazarite. So, right. So, so I, Actually, I've got the Nazarite thing in here as a different deal, but go ahead. Okay, well, I, I, I tried to tell someone that. Like, that's a parallel in number six, and they just kind of laughed because they, they just completely thought that was ridiculous. Because of the hair thing. Because of, the, yeah, the, the hair. The, yeah, let's let's make it clear. The Nazarite vow, the hair thing, is only a timing marker. Does everybody understand that? With the Nazarite vow, you cut your hair off when you go into the temple. You make sacrifice. You make the vow. That's the start. How long is the hair? The hair's that long. That's how long the vow is. Why do you suppose Saul or Paul is rushing, trying to get back to Jerusalem in time for the feast? Because traditionally, the, the Nazarite vows were, were undone or finished or completed during the feasts. So he wants to get back, shave, they burn the hair, finishes, does the animals, that kind of deal. So um, does he have really, 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 really long hair now? I can't see how he wouldn't. Oh, we all agree with that. Hard <laughs> well, we all agree that it's not wine either. Not wine. Something more than that. So. The Hebrew word there is shakar. Shakar has a very interesting, has a really interesting use that I didn't even notice until just recently reading through the Book of Numbers. It turns out that the drink offering that you give on the altar to God is shakar. It's not wine on this particular one. And what's fascinating about that issue, this is the continual offerings. This is morning and at evening, so God's established, you know, drinking before five. But um, think of, the reason why I bring this up is Yeshua, as God, I would not think would have a higher standard than God himself. And God desires wine poured out, or strong drink poured out of his altar. Okay. So I would see this as a positive thing. I don't see how it could possibly be described as a negative thing. In, in, in other words, why would you pour out something bad on the altar? Okay. Well, I like that. Can I, can I interject just for a moment because we're letting get back to that point because there that is one of the arguments that I've heard in the past and I've been through this for a long time. Um, and that is that nothing that in, includes decay was permitted. Uh, no yeast, you know, do you need yeast or something? Oh, yeah, some okay. Some bacteria to get the fermentation. So fermentation, that's why, that's why they didn't do it at Passover because they weren't allowed to have yeast. 
know, so they wouldn't have had wine because it's fermented. Well, I'm just telling you. Okay. It's fermented. It has that same uh, uh, bacterial process that's decaying, and so that would never have been permitted in the temple grounds, which is false. But anyway, back to your point. <laughs> and well, we know that's false because the it is because <laughs> the the bread the grain offering on Shavuot is specifically commanded to be leavened. It's got to be. You know, when the temperance movement, how do they picture that in the flannel graph? It's <laughs> it's wafers, not those. Right. And on the honey thing, I actually never connected that, but a verse came to mind in Numbers: No grain offering that you shall bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, uh, nor any honey as a food offering. That's right. Actually in this week. Yeah. Mm. All right, we're we're losing track. Stand by now. All right, so I've got. Did you? Are you done? Or it's just too much to bring. You can sell it for money and use it to buy shakar. Anything you want. And, and use that to worship God. And you're supposed to share it with the priest. That's right. And Yeshua is a priest. And the priests were specifically told not to drink wine when they went into the tent of meeting. There was a time when they would not to drink wine. As we've already used this argument before with regards to divorce, if you have a specific command associated with a specific time, then the implication is the rest of the time it's fine. Exactly right. Hence, the Levites, there was nothing wrong with them consuming wine on a normal basis. Yeah. So I, I don't want to get off on the fact that drinking wine is okay. We all know drinking wine is okay. The question is simply, did he drink it? Or did he have some oddball, weird, some would say higher standard? I say no. Yes. Well, I think what we're trying to do is prove that it's an alcoholic wine because of how important that is to the point later on whether or not he drank it. And I think that okay, I got gotcha. you. Okay, good, I think those are several good points. I think just because it, there are so the grape really, juice thing is is out. It, well, it's just based on it's your point. Really, I just okay. I, I do find it really hard to prove that this particular dis, um, descriptive beverage was fermented. Except for things like you were just describing, why couldn't they drink juice before they went in and served? Unless it, the wedding how it was alcoholic. You know, like I, I feel like those. How would they make alcohol in the spring from grape juice that was that was harvested no no later than the fall or the summer? I mean, it's, it's gonna ferment, y'all. <laughs> There's just no way that you can have yeah, that's grape true. juice at Passover. And it's not fermented. They don't have refrigerators. <laughs> Culturally, it just makes no sense. I mean, the, the, the Concord grape juice is what Why would they be yeah. working to try and make it not ferment? Oh, no, how can we make this not ferment? Exactly. And why isn't there anything in the scripture that teaches us how to make sure that doesn't happen so that we know it's appropriate? It exactly. Right. exactly. All right, so I've, I feel like that's really important to bring up. Okay. I'm with you. So, he's not the perfect Kohen Gadol. If my first point is right, Pete says it's wrong. Um, 
his claim to future abstinence until his return a lie if that's the case um, where is my uh, where's my bone I think you also have to oh, yeah, sure. Giant. And I think that is always understood, at least in my note, at least as far as I know, is always understood to mean. I checked alcohol. every single electronic and paper dictionary right. that I have, and every one of them said alcoholic. Right. Bar none. There were no exceptions. I have this over here. Um, now this is interesting. Let's let's. Uh, can I get? Uh, um, I have, I have. He was in the habit of blessing God for drink that was not wine. Matthew twenty six verses twenty seven and twenty eight. Matthew twenty six verses twenty seven and twenty eight. He took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink it, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is back to the Seder meal. Why, why would he bless it? Yeah, it's a tradition that you don't say a blessing for something and then not partake of it. It's like a vain blessing. Yeah. That's why we like, you know, put our hands over the fire at Havdalah. You want to feel the warmth. You want to check and make sure there's no dirt on your fingernails. It's huge. Exactly. It's blessing, exactly. And you're, and you're not making it in vain. Drink all of it. Don't just sip it. <laughs> so Ecclesiastes. Somebody pull up Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 7. Somebody grab Psalm 104.14. And I'm really thinking of uh, actually memorizing that entire Psalm. 9.7. And then uh, Romans 14.21. Got Romans and Psalms. All right, there we go. So, Rick, what do you got for Ecclesiastes 9 7? Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Don't you hate that if you're a teetotaler? And drink um, life with a wife whom you love. Yeah. You know, I mean, but we could still argue this is, uh, or some could still argue this is great. Well, they could, but the merry heart doesn't seem to fit, especially if you look at. Well, especially if, especially if you look at the other, especially if you look at the other Psalms and Proverbs that use the same terminology with wine and the merry heart, and all of that, it, it seems to be consistent. Psalm one hundred four fourteen. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for man to cultivate, bringing forth fruit from the earth, wine that gladdens the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread that sustains his heart. If you argue that wine is not good, you argue against God's creation and his own personal approval of what he made. Well, and, and again, that word wine in Psalm 104 is yain. Yes. And we can go to Proverbs 20, verse 1. Yain is a mocker, strong drink, a brawler, and whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. 
And hopefully every man in this room believes that drinking wine's not a problem, but if you get drunk, you cross the sure. line. That's, that, that's what the scriptures teach. Right. But the point is that the same word, the same word that says wine does makes the, the heart glad is also the same wine that makes you a mocker, which means by definition it's alcoholic. Exactly. Can't exactly. Alcoholic. Good point. Really yeah. Good. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're good there. All right, Romans 14, you got that one? 21. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. I don't know that there's any man that would stumble if you were drinking grape juice. I mean, seriously, what 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 what, what are we talking about? Grape juice? What expensive to me, uh, sir. I can't believe it. What is what is what is the whole reason for this topic tonight, but for those that believe that drinking wine is completely inappropriate for the believer and for the Messiah, I mean over the top. Church split. Yeah. Okay. I got one more. I got one more that I haven't heard tonight, and that is if he didn't drink wine, then the ministry of Yochanan Hamakvil was not unique, as the scripture says it is, and that he was acting as a forerunner of Messiah. So let's look at two verses there. If somebody could grab Matthew chapter 11, 18 and 19, Matthew 11, 18 and 19, and Luke 1, 15. Luke 1, 15. That's Matthew 11, 18 and 19, and Luke 1, 15. You got Luke. Who's got Matthew? Give me Matthew 11, verses 18 and 19. For John, the baptizer, came neither eating nor drinking. Which would make him a Baptist. No, I'm sorry. Okay, yeah, John the Baptist. And they say he has a demon. Verse 19. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him. He is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yeah, wisdom is justified by her deeds. In my Bible, that's all read. Yeah. Those are words he said. Right, so the master said that. So, so the, normal, the normal thing we hear is, on our side, is, see, it says he was a drunkard. It's, it's comparing him with a man who had taken a Nazarite vow, who could not drink anything from the grape, and comparing it to Yeshua, and Yeshua is called a drunkard. Therefore, it must be wine. But the argument we hear is it could have been grape juice. And I have a problem with that. So I'm not trying to argue the wine thing. I want to argue from a theological perspective here that Yochanan Hamakvil is spoken of as being absolutely unique, likened only to Eliyahu Hanavi. Another Nazarite. They were specifically unique and different and juxtaposed to this man who doesn't cut his hair or drink the fruit of the vine. We have the master. Now, why would his detractors call him a drunkard if he was only drinking grape juice? If he never touched wine, that makes no sense. If he never touched wine then he's actually detracting from Yochanan's ministry. Only one rebuttal. What, in Acts chapter 2, what is this? Have you been drinking? No, it's the Holy Spirit's going to 
Actually, let's, let's get it right. No, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. Surely they're not drunk at 9 in the morning. Right? I mean, he's, I, think, I think Peter's point is, Peter the Apostle's point is, they're not drunk because it's too early to be drunk, not because they never drink. This is the Holy Spirit, and guys, you've seen this before. Remember? At the mountain. The other verse was uh, Luke chapter 1 and verse 15. So there you go. So again, theologically, I think the master would be detracting from from Yochanan's ministry if he were to in any way parallel himself with him. It's a it's a stretch, but that's uh, that's the deal. Yeah. That's right. That's right. All right. So, so I, I think that if you're if you're arguing with a man who says that Yeshua never drank wine, I think we have a losing argument if we walk in and say, "Well, sure he did." Here's what the Bible says about wine. I, I think that's a waste of time. I think we need to argue rather differently. And we need to argue from more of a theological perspective. If you never drank wine, then this whole thing he did at the Seder appears to be showmanship and, and a hoax. And that would detract, if not disqualify him, from being the Messiah. If we see scripturally that Elijah and Yochanan, one and the same, same spirit, same guy, same something there, yeah, um, unique in the scriptures, then the uniqueness is, is, is detracted from, and that does not appear to be what the scriptures point out. In fact, not only he, but John, and then his detractors make it clear there's a big difference between these two guys. And to make them seem appear, uh, appear the same is a, is a problem. Uh, and then finally, um, if uh, I can't remember what my last one was, if he, uh, well, yeah, the Kohen Gadol one, I got to bring that up. Yeah, so is he really a perfect Kohen Gadol if the Kohen are obviously drinking wine, libations, and all of that, and everything I brought up that Pete disagree with? And and there it is. So yes, sir. Just because of the perspective that whoever would be arguing this with us, you know, just. Uh, obviously, he's coming with baggage to begin with. Right. I, I, I almost feel like you're, you're, you're going to have. It's going to end up at the wine discussion, even if you started off with everything that you just described. Trying to do the theological deal. It's so easy for them to go. How do you know it wasn't? It was wine. Well, I think we've we've had a couple of reasons, right? Like we had, we have a lot of ex- excellent additional evidence to support that. Yeah. But I, I'm just not sure about the timing. Like if that should come first. Like yeah. Before we move on, and I prove to you that it must have been like let's let's discuss wine itself. I, I don't know. Like, what do you? I've I've 
I've done the Yayan argument outside the theological aspects of the Messiah, and it's, it's, it's a no-win. The, the baggage is so strong, the, the feeling is so negative against alcohol in general that um, you don't get anywhere. I mean, you, you hear about the paste on the goat skin and scrape it off, mix it with water and the whole deal. And, it, you know, if it was alcoholic, it was so watered down. I mean, it's, I, mean, it's, I mean, it's actually probably less alcohol than is in our common day grape juice. Uh, you know, and you're like, uh, we're scraping wine, we're scra- scraping goat skins here? I, I'm out of my league, you know. <laughs> on the issue of just, just what he read, uh, what, what uh, um, Greg. Greg read on uh, John, John said, would not said, wine or fermented drink. So, They're alcoholic exactly. beverages. They're both alcoholic beverages. One is from the grape, and the other is from, you know, honey and wheat or whatever else they were doing. Yeah. And, you know, and it's like the, the archaeological evidence is just so overwhelming. Yeah, it, it is overwhelming. Beer, it, it, no beer question. In, in Israel, beer actually was probably drunk more than wine. Would you pass me that, please? Um, speaking of beer, uh, having been uh, drunk more than wine, give me that. Um, the... Um, there's a new thing out now. It's it's WWJB. What would Jesus brew? <laughs> you, you're, I mean, the old guys are laughing. But it's true. Several of the faithful from Valley Church here prepared to bow their heads in prayer to open a recent Saturday evening meeting. They introduced themselves. My name is Darren, the Methodist congregation's 37-year-old music director said, grinning. And I like me a 30-pack of Bush Light. Hmm. The circle broke. <laughs> the circle broke into laughter as several people put down bottles of micro-brew micro beer to applaud. What would Jesus brew? WWJB. So they've got uh, various things that they're brewing. Uh, one is uh, I was going to highlight it, but why bother? Brew, brew unto others. Is this where's <laughs> this from the Wall Street Journal? Does that not indicate? Not indi- see, I read that kind of stuff, and that that does disturb me because doesn't it indicate something different from what we're describing? We, we are describing the drinking of wine as a relational experience. Absolutely. In fulfillment of commandments. Yes. Versus the degradation of the people of God. And not only that, to your point, they consider themselves unaffiliated with any particular religion. And these people, um, I'm, I'm looking for the exact quote here. Um, so, so it's no wait, 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 I want to run in. Um, they, they want, they want to, 
Um, here it is. No, I just lost it. They they want to. Uh, they started a competition. What would Jesus brew? And the idea is to open it up to um, reach out to people their age, says a 23-year-old. Um, they've popped up all, all over the country, and homebrewing has become increasingly popular. A membership in the American Home Brewers Association has quadrupled since 2005. So these guys want to use it as a conversion opportunity. Yeah. Instead of just going to Elevation Church and getting great coffee, why not get with the brewers and drink great beer? And that's it. It is said, and to it is the same thing. But to Rick's point, it it is speaking to the teetotalers who are totally against the idea that Yeshua would have drunk, because then he would have been grouped in with this, and we disagree with this. Exactly. It's not a degradation of standards. This is a upholding of the biblical standard. Yeah. I mean, they've got a Christmas time seasonal swaddling ale. <laughs> right. It's probably got orange in it, which means you don't want it. <laughs> they've. Where's the, the tabernacle? Only if it's white. Booths and brews. Yeah. Where's the piece of tabernacles? Booths and brews. They've got a Belgian Trinitas for the Holy Trinity, right? Um, and, if, you know, of course, I mentioned that other one there. So, uh, yeah, brew on to others. And God's peace. Non-alcoholic version. Yeah. God's, God's, they've got God's peace, happy yeast. Yeah. So, anyway, I've, I've got uh, ten copies of this from the... Uh, Take one, pass it down if you want to read that. You know, I think I think the bottom line is, I mean, uh, to me, that rounds out the conversation tonight. We're not trying to argue that wine and debauchery and drunkenness are a good thing. And I think that arguing that wine is something that we should drink is also not something that we should argue. But the fact that we want to twist the scriptures and make it sound like our master was a teetotaler simply so that we can have it fit in with our own pre-designed thoughts is just not correct. So I think a theological argument that Yeshua obviously drank wine and did not get drunk is the strongest way to present this because... I'm not really interested in convincing someone that they should drink wine, only that the master must have. And you know what? He's still the Messiah. So, so this is interesting. Yeah. In Wilmington, North Carolina, Oops. a 150-year-old St. Paul's Episcopal Church was struggling with membership. So the community brainstormed ways to draw new members. Jeffrey Key is a member of St. Paul's, came up with the idea other churches in the area to a friendly competition to raise money for charity. 
church growth. Just, just reading that paragraph, what, the whole motivation is to, to fill the pew. That's it. It's a church growth movement. Right. It's either money or church growth. No! <laughs> to tap the market. Ah! With the, the with the drunkards, because he was just opposed to John. to John. But I don't necessarily know that he was the type to be pursuing them in that. Thing. Pursuing who? In other words, the they didn't come to him in the bar. He went to them in the bar. Yeah. In other words, I would I would go so far as to say that he invited them to a Pharisee's house, and the Pharisee was shocked. That we've got nobody. I thought we were going to have some players here. And who do we have? We have nothing but tax collectors and sinners. And he's drinking with them. Hop on over here. That's different. You're exactly right. It's different. As opposed to this case where it's more like we're going to put the bar in the church to kind of get the drunks from the bar into the church. Because we've already already gotten as much as we can from the coffee. Let's step it up and and do beer. Yeah, I'm. I'm not getting. Well, see, the coffee house church was like so ten years ago to begin with, and that's part of the problem with Christianity in general. Right. Is is there's a focus on filling seats and pews. Captain knows us. Tithes and offerings to pay for our overhead and our salary. That's right. As as opposed to. Amen. Which is we care less whether there's ten people or a hundred people at Bellatora. What I care about is who is really pressing in and building relationships Amen. and, and, and we're going in, deep and going wide in terms of their walk. And, and we're investing in the walk of godly men. That's exactly right. Couldn't have said it better. Final comments. My family does not and has never practiced St. Patrick's Day because my wife's birthday is March 17th. We celebrate Alan's birthday. That's it. That's right. So, uh, yes, my wife's birthday is this Sunday. And uh, I am am thrilled that uh, she is alive. All right, so um, thank you, man. Um, good, good, good uh, iron sharpening iron there. Uh, again, I think that if we're dealing with people that want to bring this predisposed notion to the Scriptures that there's no alcohol that should be consumed by men that's righteous, it's never a good idea, it's never appropriate, and it's a sin, then if you believe, if you bring to the Scriptures this baggage that it's a sin, then it's obvious that the Messiah could not drink it, isn't it? At the first Seder? When they take a sip of the grape juice? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I... I, I, I <laughs> congratulate you. You saved yourself for this moment. That's right. Yeah. I tell you, Good I, job. I tell you, one of the things that would make the Baptist Church start to grow. Do you realize the Baptist Church has, has been declining in, in uh, membership for so many years? If they all just started to 
just have a glass of wine every now and then, I'm confident their numbers would start to grow. But anyway, I digress. I, I think that, uh, yeah, you're right. Um, as with the rest of the church, when the master returns and he takes us home, begins his reign, and we start to, as, as the sages say, the first thing Messiah will do is to reinstitute Shabbat. That's going to throw them a little bit because most of, the, most of the restaurants open on Sunday for them probably don't need to be open now. So it's, it's going to be a different deal being on Shabbat. And then the next thing we're going to have is that marriage feast. We're going to have that Passover again. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be new. But, you know, these are brothers and sisters in Messiah. So we don't need to denigrate them. We don't need to tear them down. We just, right. We, we just need to point out that if you want to bring this baggage to the scripture, that's okay. Everybody brings some baggage. But in this particular case, you end up maligning our master in some way, shape, or form. Whether he's not the greatest high priest, whether he lied, what, you know, all these things, there's some issues here. And seems to be some inconsistency, so it's probably best that they not do that. We're not interested in getting them to drink wine, just not to torque the scriptures. The statement that is made in the scriptures about not putting new wine and old wines in is said as a as a story by the master himself. Burst. And, and that is because the, the fermentation of the new wine creates gas. Creates gas. Correct. So there's another example where he's clearly not talking about grape juice, guys. Well, yeah, I, I don't think there's any question. Uh, it, it should be a fairly easy argument for even the most simple Bible student to demonstrate that Wine was used in the culture, and the master obviously had knowledge of this cultural practice. Um, so it's it's a it's a tough tough road to hoe if you want to stick it with just grape juice the whole time. Great class, great arguments, great points, and everything. My only suggestion is shed the gun and should have taught it with a glass of wine in your hand. I actually started with a glass. <laughs> I had my I started, I had a glass of wine in my hand when we when we began. It's just that I finished it, <laughs> you know. So, yeah, good. All right, well, thank you, man. That was, that was good. And, uh, oh, we're right on time. Perhaps you all have time for just a quick glass of grape juice. <laughs> Let's pray, shall we? Good Father, we thank you. Avina Malkenu, we thank you for creating the fruit of the vine and for allowing us to have our hearts merry before you. And as Joshua has uh, reminded us, that if our tithe is unwieldy and unable to be brought to your city, the place where you've placed your name, that you've commanded us, Father, to convert it to money, carry it to your city, and then buy whatever our hearts desire, from wine to strong drink, and to eat it before you. Father, I think I speak for every man here. We long for the day when we have the privilege and the opportunity to eat in your presence. 
Father, may it come soon and in our days that you send your Son quickly to reign over us. And all these godly men said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus.